Hey there. Welcome into another episode of the Bandwagon Sports Podcast. I'm Brian Moline. I'm Lisa Bralton. No, sorry. Go ahead. No. Finish, finish I, your thought. My thought was I had no volume in my headphones at that point, and I was going to say, and I can finally hear myself, but go ahead. Sorry. I'm John Seibacher, <laughs> and I can always hear myself, and I often regret it. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right. So you'll, you'll notice we, we said goodbye to our intern, Roger Blanco, last time, so back to just the three of us. Yeah, okay, so here's the gig. We were going to try and bring him on the show this morning. He's not answering texts because he's, like, sleeping or something. Yeah. Like a college student might Oh, to be 21 and out of, out of college for he's the semester. He's not even 21 yet. He's, he's not? 20. He's 20? Yeah. What a, what a young his kid. His birthday's in June, I think. Maybe we'll have to call him on his birthday. Or the take him the day after his birthday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Uh, well, uh, we should say that this is the uh, the last uh, bandwagon as we take our summer hiatus. So we can all theoretically sleep in, right, Brian? Yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll all sleep in. I'll sleep until 4.05 yeah. just to celebrate. Yeah. So. Sounds dreamy. Uh, we've got a great show on the way for you. We're going to talk to the first... Uh, general manager, uh, first female general manager of a Triple A baseball team coming up uh, in just a little bit. Emily Jansen, she is uh, general manager of the team in Reno, Nevada. We'll talk to her coming up in just a bit. Our controversy has to do with um, when are you anonymous? When are you not anonymous on the internet and in social media and um, and all that kind of fun stuff? Uh, dealing with someone known as PFT commenter. We'll have that uh, coming up for you. Our usual status update for you at the end of the show as well. Uh, first, just kind of uh, taking a look at what's happening in sports here the last couple of weeks. Uh, John Steinbacher, the NBA playoffs are, uh, you know, a couple of pretty good series going right now. Yeah, very good series. Uh, as we record right now, uh, the Eastern Conference between the Celtics and the Cavaliers is 2-2. Two to two. And the Western Conference, the Warriors and the Rockets, is also 2-2. Two to two. Uh, however, uh, before last night, the games were not at all exciting. Uh, mm-hmm. There was blowouts one way or the other. The Celtics destroyed the Cavaliers in Boston. Every Everyone, of course, you know, the, the Cavaliers are awful. They don't want to play anymore. This is the end of the Cavaliers. And, of course, LeBron James does what LeBron James does. And it's like, no, hold on a second. I got this. And then, <laughs> you know, they win the next two games. And hold I my think, beer. Yeah, I'll win exactly. this for you. And on the other side, uh, it's been just blowout after blowout. And then finally last night was actually a pretty decent game. It was an interesting game in that um, (laughs) it was like the Warriors were up by 10 and then the Rockets were up by 10 and then the Warriors were up by like 10 again and then the Rockets ended up winning. So it wasn't really a blowout, but it was like it doesn't seem to be any point in these conference finals where both all the teams are are going at the same level, right? It seems like one team is destroying the other. So at least last night's game was exciting, but honestly, at the end, the Warriors just looked awful. Hmm. More, in my opinion, more so than the Rockets looking great. And Kevin Durant took. I don't know if someone told Kevin Durant that we need to take this to Game Seven or something, but towards the end, he took some very uncharacteristically terrible Kevin Durant shots. So hmm. anyway, I I think you could. Other than last night, you could not ask for a, a less interesting uh, conference finals that are both tied 2-2. Two to two. We'll have to see if uh, things get more exciting going in. If last night's game is a sign that maybe there'll actually be competitive games instead of a competitive series that is not at all competitive within the games. 
Yeah, yeah, kind of unusual when it works out that way. And uh, NHL playoffs uh, coming down oh, to yeah. the end as well. Golden, golden Knights. Knights. Well, our I, Golden Knights. Yeah, yeah. that's kind of like the bandwagon flagship hockey mm-hmm, team, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, early adopter over here, John Steinbacher with the hat. Then I went to Vegas and was just like, sure, I'll like these guys. Great story, as we've talked about. You know, they, they're an expansion team. It's their first year in the NHL. They sort of cheaped out on their roster, you know, like not building it around one amazing player or two really expensive players, but just finding good talent at a good price. They all seem mm-hmm. to be working really well together. Uh, you know, I enjoy the when they're at home, the purely Vegas spectacle inside the ice arena. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and actually, this is something like hockey has surprised me recently with all of the they have the same kind of like crazy bombastic intros and like sharks and knights being lowered from the ceiling and fireworks on the inside of the building. I didn't realize hockey had gone that route. It's been a while since I watched Well, I mean, especially Vegas. It's just all sports. Well, yeah, but like, but in (laughs) in San Jose, they were lowering that giant great white shark from the ceiling and stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like the the hockey, the ice and in basketball stadiums, the floor is now just like a giant projection. Yeah, exactly. Sometimes I wonder like the, the, uh, the players in the NBA in particular, because I don't think, well, I guess some of the players are on the ice during the intros for hockey, but like, it just must be weird to like try and walk around when you're like, there's practically 3D and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And anyway, they, um, they've been playing really well. You know, they haven't like won every single game, but they, they, Uh they, they've got it together, man. They, they, I, it is very exciting. I know we were sort of rooting a little bit, not rooting against the Golden Knights, but talking about like maybe Canadian team in there, but Mm -hmm. it was not to be. Well, in the Eastern Conference finals are going to game seven tonight. And I think the the big story there is like Washington, their, their hockey franchise has just been like jinxed, like forever, basically. (laughs) And they get in the playoffs and they find a way to screw things up. So, um, if they could find a way to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, that would kind of be a bit of uh, a relief, I think, for for them and their fan base. Right, and they have uh, arguably the best offensive uh, hockey player of his generation. Ovechkin, yeah. I mean, you could make a pretty good argument for Crosby, obviously, mm-hmm. but uh, him in the finals would be something exciting. So. Yeah, it would be. We'll see what happens so, with uh, hockey NHL in Game June. Seven. Indeed. Woo-hoo. And speaking of June, um, as, as John mentioned, this is our last episode for the, the season uh, before we take our summer hiatus here. So I thought we'd just kind of talk about some, some sports things we're looking forward to here this summer. I know, Lisa, you've probably got World Cup on your mind. The World Cup is totally on my mind. In fact, last night we were sitting around talking about all the new flags that we have to get because <laughs> there are so many countries being represented that... Um, whose flags we don't own. And so for those who don't know me personally, which is practically everybody listening to this, um, we we surround our house. We hang from our house all the way around every single flag we we have or that we can locate representing soccer teams in the World Cup, CONCACAF. We've done the, the Olympics. We've done we try. There's something every year where we can do this. So um, we need flags from like Iran and Egypt and mm. all of these other countries that um, – you know, before we started doing this, we, we just didn't have their flags. And it's quite the spectacle. I'm not sure how many will actually be able to fit on our house. It's pretty small. But, um, but yeah, so we're really looking forward to that. <clears throat> Excuse me. And everything starts on June 14th. So we've got a little bit of time uh, to prepare. And also for me to get familiar with the draw and the pods, I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not exact. I know my daughter was like, why do they have Portugal and Spain playing each other like right away? 
they're playing each other right away. Yeah, um, that seems like a match that should happen like in the quarterfinals. Much later, or exactly. So, um, and also, it's just kind of fun to pick a team. The United States uh, men's soccer team, of course, is not in wah, wah. in the World Cup this year. It's it's actually pretty sad. But uh, there are some. It's actually going to be really hard for me. You know, uh, Mo Salah, who plays for Liverpool in real in real life, his club team, his country is Egypt. So I were very interested as a household in seeing how they do. Love Iceland always, Mexico always, um, Panama. My daughter is a huge Panama fan. Do not know why. I Van think, Halen probably. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. Maybe it's it's totally Van Halen. Um, I think maybe there's a player on that team that she really likes as a club player. I can't remember which guy. Costa Rica. We're sort of in the tank for Costa Rica because one of Minnesota United's players is a Costa Rican uh, national team player. So that's what we'll be watching, and we'll be watching it all the time. Uh, the time due to the time differences, most of the games will be they'll be played live our time in the morning and mm-hmm. early afternoon. Um, so I'm sure I'll be, you know, maybe quietly watching things or having it on here at work. But then uh, there will just be a plethora of replays to watch um, in the evenings if we want to watch. So, yeah, soccer for me. Um, all right, John Steinbacher, what are you looking forward to this summer? Well, I mean baseball. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> as we as we stand here today, the Cubs are, what, five games over 500 and just kind of bumbling yeah, along a bumbling little bit? bumbling along a little bit. But uh, I think a lot of that is the expectations game. You know, uh, the Cubs have obviously made it to the uh, – National League Championship Series three years in a row, and they still have the same uh, basic core intact, so the expectations are sort of World Series or bust these days. But it could be the Dodgers, right? Yeah, under 500, under half 500, the team injured. Yeah, so, I, I mean, I expect and hope that they'll do well. It's actually kind of, I think, after last year and the year before, I guess there was kind of a, a run last year, but, uh, you know, having the Cardinals and the Cubs and possibly the Brewers uh, all competing for the, the the central title. I think that's fun. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. I want the Cubs to win, but it's kind of fun when September means something. Yeah, yeah, it did last year. The Brewers were hanging around until, mm-hmm. until late last year. So, yeah, that'll be fun. Uh, let's see. This summer uh, I am going to visit a ballpark I've not visited before. Um, I don't think it's a— Wrigley a, Field? No, no. <laughs> I visited that one. I actually don't have any tickets to Wrigley at this point, but— uh, I do have tickets to see a game at Angels Stadium. Oh, cool. Um, get to see oh. Mike Trout in and person. Possibly. And possibly Mr. Otani, Mr. Yeah. Pitcher and Hitter. So, so uh, yeah, I'm going out to see my sister in July. So we'll, uh, we've will we got tickets to that. Um, and I do think I might have to get up to Wrigley at some point this year. So, yeah, definitely some baseball in my mind. And, uh, yeah, going to be doing a fair bit of running, 5Ks, 10Ks, that kind of stuff around All here. So. That'll keep me busy. My children are taking tennis, so I'll be playing tennis quite a bit this summer. All right. I threw out my shoulder the other day, so good times. Good form. Yeah. Perfect for playing with kids. (laughs) All right. I guess. So, um, yeah, with uh, baseball, one thing that's been going on as well is we're starting to see very gradually. We mentioned our guest, who's uh, you know general manager of a, a AAA minor league baseball team. We're gradually starting to see more female involvement in sports in general and in in baseball in particular. We saw uh, first female television Mm -hmm. play-by-play announcer for the Colorado Rockies here earlier this season. Um, And I think response to her from what I've seen has been positive to the job that she's been doing for them. Um, But, yeah, I think that just kind of – 
is a, a broader topic as well with more women being involved in so-called men's sports. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I know it's something you follow closely, Lisa. And um, I, we, we kind of, we're kind of bandying about an article written by one uh, Pau Gasol here recently. Yes. So you, I think it was you, you posted it in Slack, yeah, right? Yeah. Where um, it was basically sort of an open letter to people talking about like this this idea of like women basketball coaches and should women coach men's basketball and um we'll post a link to it i just i loved it everything my heart just grew two sizes that day i think when when you posted that because um he gets it he he starts off by talking about how um his parents one is a doctor and one is a nurse so, of course, I, just being socialized and cultured like everybody else in the world, think his dad's a doctor and his mom's a nurse when it's actually the other way around. And so mm-hmm. he sort of leads off with that. And basically he, he talks about, um, you know, the Spurs have an assistant coach. What is her name? I'm sorry. Becky Hammond. Becky Hammond. Uh, and uh, and this guy – and there's many pictures uh, within this piece that he writes of – the guys on the team listening intently to her as she coaches, you know, they all, he in particular towers over her, you know, she's got these really intense looks on her faces and so do the guys. Um, And basically he's just like, you guys that think that women, you know, what about women in the locker room? What about, he, he basically boops every single point that, that people are trying to make about why women should not be playing or coaching basketball. And this got me thinking about Popovich, who's the coach of the team, uh, Gasol, all of these players. Um, really one of the most important things about seeing women involved, being involved in so-called men's sports or, you know, basketball is not a men's sport. We're talking about women being involved on the men's side of sports, which are the big money makers and the ones that everybody, everybody in air quotes wants to watch. Part, the, the, most, the most important people in this equation are the women who want to get in and coach and they want to be, you know, managers or owners or front office folks or uh, referees or whatever. The second most important people here are men. And that, and what I mean by that is in order for women to ascend to these hallowed places where men have always resided, they're going to need the help of allies like Pau Gasol, uh, like Greg Popovich, to get them there. Women desire these jobs. They want to referee. They want to coach. They want to do these things. But they're not there because they know that they have double the road to hoe than than a man. And that's where allyship is a is a huge deal. If you have men coming in in positions of power and saying, you know, this person is a great coach and we're bringing her in and she's doing the job and that's it and you should do it too because I know that, you know, so-and-so, this woman over here is a great coach and she wants to work for your organization. I think over time that allyship will really help get women into positions of, of power. I'm not super interested in women playing baseball. Like, I think it would be cool. I, I don't see why if a, if a woman wants to play baseball and she's a great player, she, she should be playing. But I really am interested in the women doing the broadcasting and being the voice, being, you know, like if I were a young girl and I heard a woman doing play-by-play in baseball, I'd probably be a lot more interested in it and maybe see the possibilities either as being a broadcaster or maybe even a player or coach someday because it's just you've got – it's it's a more level playing field. Um, I care about the women who are administrators and making decisions. I care about officiating and umpiring and deciding how games are to be played. And I want to bring in just really quick a a very – 
local example of this, and I'm going to get to brag on my husband just a little bit, uh, and actually it's not bragging. This is just how he is. He desperately needs more referees in general. And he and there is a shortage of female referees. And this is for club soccer, you know, and they're looking for referees, everything from like under eight year olds to high school. And uh, his goal is to encourage more women to be referees, more young women to be referees. And what he started doing is putting them together female teams refereeing really important games, whether they're boys playing or girls playing, and just helping build their confidence so that they can continue to referee. And he is their biggest champion and supporter. And he can do that. He is a man in a position of power where he can decide who does what and when and talk to them about their performance. And I think um, over time that will make a really big difference. The thing is, is that when I was at the Minnesota United soccer game not too long ago, there was a woman on who was one of the ARs, one of the line referees. And she blew a call, and there was a guy behind me in the supporter section who started making incredibly gendered comments about her refereeing in the supporter section, which is supposed to be all-inclusive. And I wanted to turn around and punch him in the face. I refrained. Uh, but that is that is totally – that is exactly the reason why – Women are just like, look, I could be really great, and the the second I blow a call, I'm reduced. It's it's being reduced to the fact that I'm female. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is is like, if we want to see more women in sports, and we want to see more women um, not just playing, but also taking part in all of these other um, components, you know, being part pieces of that very giant puzzle we call sports. It really is up to the people in the positions of power to. Uh, to bring to bring really capable people in, whether they are men or women, but particularly women, and um, and it's also up to women once they are in positions of power as well to to do the same, and um, it does level the playing field, and I think that scares people. I think men are like, well, so if we start letting women umpire games, what's going to happen to all the male umpires? I'm like, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I mean, people are people. If if people can do these jobs, like let's let's bring them in. We want we want those games officiated properly, not just by a bunch of guys who maybe aren't that good at it. So those are my feelings on this topic. I just think because I would love to be able to watch baseball, and you know, I, I'm not sure what the statistics are about women watching baseball. I think a lot of women watch baseball, not just because their male significant others are watching it or their kids play it or whatever. I think they want to be involved and and feel like part of it, not just like shelling out money for jerseys or whatever, but actually seeing some representation there I think would go a long way toward making baseball America's real pastime again, especially in the summertime. Awesome. There we go. All right. Well, we'll uh, next we'll Sermon talk to over. someone who uh, certainly has a close-up view of, uh, of women in the sport of baseball. We'll talk to Emily Jansen, manager of the AAA baseball team in Reno, Nevada. She's our guest coming up next here on The Bandwagon. Pleased to welcome into the bandwagon this week the general manager of the AAA Reno Aces uh, in the Pacific Coast League. Emily Jansen joins us. Uh, Emily, thanks so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Um, well, let's see. You've been in uh, the job now for, I think, uh, about three or four weeks. Uh, <laughs> how, how's that transition been for you? I have, yeah. Um, it's been good. You know, I was with um, with the Reno Aces for uh, almost three seasons um, from 2013 to 2016 as the VP of Corporate Partnerships. 
so the transition to come back uh, has been a little bit easier because uh, I've already been here before, but this time in a new role uh, with new responsibilities. So um, sort of learning uh, what that looks like now. Um, I interface a lot more uh, with the team and also with the DBAC. So um, that's new for me versus working just strictly on corporate partnerships. Yeah, I was going to ask you what exactly, what does a typical day look like in the life of a GM of a AAA baseball team? Yeah, sure. Um, so different from uh, Major League Baseball, a GM in AAA um, does not uh, do player transactions. So um, I'm not evaluating talent. I leave that up to the Arizona Diamondbacks um, to fill our roster and move players around uh, within MILB. Um, but what I do is focus on the business operations of uh, Reno Aces baseball. So part of my day is uh, liaising with um, with our affiliate club, which is the Arizona Diamondbacks, um, and that extends here to what happens at the park with, with our team, uh, with our coaching staff, with our manager. Um, I also uh, oversee marketing and um, communications and public relations, so that public-facing um, piece of our business, I want to make sure that I keep a close eye um, on that. Um, and then also working within corporate sponsorships and ticket sales and fan engagement um, to ensure that our fans have uh, the best experience uh, making memories here at Greater Nevada Field. So how big is is your staff there at, at the Reno Aces? Yeah, so um, we are um, at Greater Nevada Field. We have uh, Reno Aces baseball, and we also have a USL soccer team affiliated with the San Jose Earthquakes um, so we run two professional sports franchises out of here, plus special events. Um, I'm so focused specifically on Reno Aces baseball, um, but our staff um, is about a 60, uh, mm-hmm. 60 strong. And then, of course, we bring in um, a lot of part-time people for events. Very good. And uh, I guess uh, just a little bit about your, your background. You know, how did you get into kind of the business side of sports? Did you come at it, you know, from, from a love of sports? Did you come at it more from the business side of things? How did you really get into this, uh, into this field? Sure. Um, so I'm an alum of University of Illinois, uh, Urbana-Champaign, had an amazing four years there, and uh, I studied, studied advertising. And um, within advertising, um, I had a couple of um, different uh, internships that I did. One was with a, a radio marketing group um, in Champaign. I uh, worked for Universal Pictures as their on-campus um, promotion uh, intern. Anytime they had a big movie coming out, um, I was partnering to, to promote that on campus. Um, and then following graduation, um, I've, I've been a, a big sports fan uh, my entire life, uh, played sports my entire life. Um, I played club soccer at University of Illinois. Um, I, uh, I had an opportunity to, to apply and got um, an internship with the Chicago Bulls. So that was really the, the foundation um, and the launching, uh, launching pad for my career in sports was cutting my teeth in ticket sales with 12 other um, interns for nine months from all over the country, from all different schools, um, really learning the business. Uh, ticket sales is, is the lifeblood of any sports organization, and we were responsible for selling season and group tickets, making 80 calls a day. Um, it was a grind. But, you know, it was it was really um, what I credit for for starting my entire career. 
yeah, you mentioned you graduated from U of I, College of Media. We're, we're technically part of the College of Media. But it uh, looks like you, you then have worked in some uh, other you, – you've just sort of gone back and forth between sports organizations and, and other uh, – different types of organizations. How, what is it like, you know, marketing and promotion, kind of the same thing? Uh, can you talk about sort of the differences between working in, in the sports environment versus some of those other jobs? Yeah, sure. Um, so the Chicago Bulls really taught me um, tenacity and, and what it is to, to be part of, uh, of a sales team. And um, when I left the Bulls, I went to Muscular Dystrophy Association Chicago. And um, Oddly enough, uh, nonprofits and uh, of of the size of MDA Chicago, um, with the Chicago Bulls, not too entirely different. Because while I was with MDA, I was working on um, corporate partnerships, so pitching to companies, um, essentially selling them on uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association, its mission, its vision, um, and the impact that we were going to make for people um, who had those diseases. I also did major event planning for them as well. Um, and then after uh, working for MDA, I kind of went out on my own. I built some websites, um, did some, some SEO, um, you know, for a couple of years, and then back into the nonprofit side with Big Brothers Big Sisters, where I planned their gala, um, sold corporate sponsorships, wrote grants um, when the Reno Aces called uh, the first time. And I was really excited to get back into sports. I missed that energy. I missed that frequency of events. Um, it's different planning, you know, your big million dollar gala uh, when that's your, your big bang of the year uh, versus in baseball, you've got 70 events, uh, 70 game nights that you've got to put on. Um, so it came back came back here. And then when we moved to Houston uh, two years ago, um, had a chance to contract with the Harris County Houston Sports Authority, uh, which is essentially the sports marketing arm for the city of Houston, and got to do a lot of really cool projects with, with them where I was working on the sports side of things, but um, more on major event. Um, so rather than having the frequency on team side where you're looking at your season, you've got everything planned. Um, in sports tourism, you're working on one one or maybe two major events um, you know down the pipeline in that calendar year so I'm curious to know in in your new position and granted you haven't been there very long so I I don't know maybe you can tell us um, if you've had any tough or interesting decisions that you've had to make right out of the gate or what you anticipate looking down the road for the remainder of the season what kinds of you know you said you don't necessarily work with with the um, evaluation of, of the talent of the athletes what are some other types of decisions that somebody in your position will have to make is it in terms of like who how things are structured organizationally within your office or uh, how to build and continue relationships with the with the mothership, so to speak. I mean, how, uh-huh. what what are what are some of the some of the the tough businessy sorts of things that you're going to have to do in this job? Yeah, um, it's it's a very multifaceted position. So um, there's some some tough decisions to make uh, within the clubhouse. So. Um, I always say downstairs because the clubhouse is sort of under 
the building, um, and the clubhouse is the locker room where the where the players dress, get ready, where the batting cages are, um, where they they get treatment from physical therapists, uh, where where our manager and baseball, your manager is your coach, um, where his office is. Um, that side of, of the business is new to me, so. That has been my initial challenge is uh, getting to know those people, um, listening, identifying what they need from us as a club, um, and then also getting to know um, the Arizona Diamondbacks. So we've got an a exciting announcement coming up on May 31st um, that uh, your listeners will have to follow up on mm-hmm. to, to get the information there. Um, but, but that's sort of been challenge number one. Um, the second thing is I serve on the executive team here for the business. So I am influencing decisions um, in terms of staffing, um, in terms of budgeting. So later this uh, this season, we'll be going into our budgeting period where I've got to really evaluate um, how and where we're spending money in a lot of different areas of the business. So that's going to be a challenge for me uh, in the GM role that I um, ha- sort of have my hands in a lot of areas versus previously just working in sponsorship and, and managing that team and that budget. Emily, I'm curious um, with kind of the, the business track in in baseball. Um, I guess where do you see yourself going long term? Is this is this a position you see yourself in for quite a while? Do you see yourself wanting to perhaps work in a major league baseball front office in some capacity? Um, yeah, what what do you kind of see as your longer term career track in baseball? Sure. Um, well, this was uh, this was a goal of mine to get to this role. So. Um, check that one off and, and work here and, uh, you know, kill it for uh, the foreseeable future. Um, I'll, I'll, work, I'll look at this role as um, in the three- to five-year plan and sort of see how it develops. Um, my goal is to be president of a team one day. Um, that in, Depending on the organization, it's, it could be a different role here. Um, our president has a larger role because he is the president of the business overseeing both soccer and baseball. Um, so for me, if I were to achieve that, that would just be another step within this organization. Um, but then part of me, you know, I do think about MLB. Um, I love working in baseball for sure. Um, and so it's sort of to be defined. Um, an executive role in an MLB club um, would definitely be uh, be a great next step um, in my career, but I'm at this point really looking forward to dig in in, in my GM role and then uh, reset my next 5, 10, and 15-year goals. Uh, Emily, you kind of alluded to this a little bit uh, a moment ago, but one of the things I, I think, particularly uh, with your role being so focused on uh, promotion and marketing and things like that, when you're at a a double A or triple A team. And I know a lot of them kind of do some crazy promotions. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like to have, uh, to know that, uh, what would naturally be your star attraction, some of the best players on the team, uh, if they're doing especially well, they'll be taken away from you. Yep. <laughs> uh, how, yeah, I'm just curious, uh, as a, as a triple A or minor league executive, uh, what your approach to that is and, and, and how it sort of works in the industry. Yeah, sure. Um, so, yeah, the better you do here, you get called up to the show. So, our role in in this in this club and in AAA is um, we're exporters of great talent, um, and so it, it does 
pose a challenge on the marketing side of things um, that uh, is opposed to an MLB club where you're really marketing your your talent and your star power. Um, we've got to put on um, a show beyond what's happening on the field. So that's why you see these crazy MILB promotions um, is because we've got to give fans another reason to come to the ballpark just in case their favorite player is not on our roster uh, the day they come out to the game. So we do have a great opportunity um, to to do these fun promotions. Uh, you know, following this call, I've got a meeting to plan out um, superhero day at the ballpark. Okay. Um, we're working with Marvel. Captain America will be here. Um, we get to do cool food items, on-field promotions. Um, you know, engage our fans and asking them who their favorite superhero is, and um, really integrate that promotion into uh, into into the game. Um, looking down the season, um, we will have a, a Margaritaville night here. Um, so kind of tying in that, that Jimmy Buffett uh, era that I'm really looking forward to. Um, and then also uh, the wiz- Wizarding World of Harry Potter uh, will make its way here in August. Wow. So um, lots of fun. Yeah. And that's what keeps the job interesting is um, having the bandwidth to create these really unique um, promotions and, and attract people that are um, – you know, it's not just about baseball. It's about making memories at the ballpark and having these theme nights and these promotions help us to do that. So um, one of the things that we've sort of been talking about quite a bit here uh, among the three of us and and uh, something that we'll talk more about on the podcast, too, is about women in baseball, baseball in particular. I loved baseball when I was growing up, have really gotten away from it in adulthood, and I'm curious one of the things that we've talked about is women in baseball, um, not just women as spectators, but women actually uh, not and not just working in the front offices or working at the park or whatever, but actually in positions of uh, power, whether it be uh, people like yourself who are in, um, you know, in high level management roles, broadcasters, uh, players, obviously, that would be interesting, umpires and other parts of baseball. And I'm curious to know what you think needs to happen in order for more women to get into baseball in this way, not just loving baseball and appreciating it like me, I'm, you know, but to, to actually start working within the game in roles that are traditionally almost always going to men. Um, well, I think we're in a new era today. Um, I'm, I'm lucky that um, our ownership, uh, Mr. Simon, and then also um, Eric Edelstein here, our president, um, just recognize talent. Um, gender really has nothing to do with it. Um, and it, it's sort of a odd position for me because I got this role um, because of what I can do, not because I'm a female, but I realize the opportunity that I have as a woman in this position to tell other women, hey, you can do it too. Set that goal, work hard at it, and achieve it. Um, you know, I look at Kim Nee, she's the SVP of baseball operations and Major League Baseball. Um, she got the role of assistant GM of the Yankees at 29. And, um, it, you know, it's women like that who um, – she just works incredibly hard. She's super competitive. She's an amazing golfer. She golfs from the men's tees <laughs> and, you know, kicks their butt. So, um, you know, she's, she's certainly someone that I look up to. And then also, um, 
Within AAA, there's there's seven female um, executives um, right here at the Reno Aces and Reno 1868. Our chief uh, revenue officer is female, um, so it's just um, you know I think uh, letting women know, hey, you can you can do it. Set that goal, work hard at it, find mentors, um, find your tribe. Uh, I had an opportunity in Houston to be a part of Wise, which is Women in Sports and Events. Um, it's a group that's in most major markets, and um, just having an opportunity uh, once a month or once a quarter to um, rally with those women around different topics and um, talk about our lives inside the sports industry and um, find mentors, um, find people doing similar positions, and just just have other women as a resource um, it was really beneficial. So, um, you know, I think for, for girls of the future, um, you know, set your goal, work at it, and, and the opportunity will present itself. Emily Jansen is the general manager of the AAA Reno Aces, an affiliate of the Arizona Diamondbacks, and, as she mentioned, a graduate of the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. Emily, thanks so much for spending some time with us today. We appreciate it. You're welcome. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks again to Emily Jansen for joining us on The Bandwagon, manager of the AAA baseball team in Reno, Nevada. And, uh, yeah, best of luck to Reno here the rest of this uh, this baseball season. Um, Time now for some controversy. And it's interesting. We had really not had a solid thing we were going to discuss on this. We had a couple of possibilities. And then... um, Got a little discussion going just this morning in our in our Slack channel, um, and it has to do with someone known online as PFT commenter, and exactly um, his identity, I guess, was quote revealed by an article on Deadspin, although it was kind of out there before, and some of the controversy this generates. But Lisa Brawls, kind of bring us up to speed on what's going on here. Well, I'll try. So you're right. Initially, we were, I think one of the things that we had talked about talking about in terms of controversy was this idea of like personal life and and uh, public life mm-hmm. and how um, especially uh, with social media, with the rise of social media, how it seems like those lines are increasingly blurred. We talked a little bit about Sammy Sosa and how uh, he keeps getting sort of attacked and pried at by the press and the Cubs kind of don't want to, you know, have him involved in, in any of what they're doing. And But people have a lot of questions about some personal stuff that Sammy's going through, maybe maybe some health issues that he might be having or whatever. And so we were just uh, talking about this idea of, um, you know, people just kind of want to be out there and do their thing and maybe be left alone a little bit. Well, this, of course, uh, can also extend to personalities in the sports world who aren't necessarily athletes, and that's and that's who we're talking about here. Um, PFT commenter, whose real name, since I, it's already, he's been outed, his name is Eric Sollenberger. Mm-hmm. And so uh, basically PFT commenter was... Uh, a commenter, I think, on a blog, from what I understand. I kind of uh, know him uh, more from, like, Barstool, I can, right? I can. So there's uh, there's there's this uh, site called uh, Pro Football Talk. Yeah. And uh, he took on a persona. It, I think it's mostly a Twitter account, uh, a persona of a commenter on there. And, and basically it's, you know, the dungeon of the dungeon of the dungeon of 
sports commentary. Uh, so he 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 would be a satirical take on that. You know, posting things like uh, comparing Deflate Gate to Benghazi and, and and stuff like that. And I think it's it's pretty funny stuff. And uh, in general, I think his stuff and you know, world we we. <laughs> We don't. <laughs> I would see people like retweet him and stuff. I never followed him, but I think people generally thought he his approach is being very satirical of the the dumbest of the dumb hot takers. Yeah, kind of the uh, meathead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. So, so I mean, I think, and I don't think anyone saw him particularly as misogynistic or anything like that. Although, you know, we could get into that, but he would be taking a you know, satirizing those folks. But uh, after a couple of years of doing that and becoming very successful, he joined with the Barstool Enterprise. And we talked about this a little bit, how they there was a show on ESPN briefly. One episode aired and mm-hmm. then ESPN yanked it because uh, not, not particularly PFT commenter, but I think in particular Barstool's president has been shown to, uh, you know, call people online sluts. Uh, they, the whole Barstool Enterprise seems to, you know, it says Saturday is for dudes. It's very, it's, it's, it's pretty well established that it's sort of a, a sexist thing. Uh, and then uh, what, uh, this week, the Washington Post, mm-hmm. the Post. Wrote, wrote a very glowing article about PFT commenter, which follows a few others in which they, you know, the article I read it is basically about him. It's not about the persona. It's about the guy who is right. who you know the guy behind the thing. But they never t- say who he is, and he says, and his reason behind it is that if if he gives away his identity, the the power of his shtick or his role will lose. People will not you know they'll identify him as a person and not his role. You know, whatever. Okay. But it's a pretty fluff piece, and I mean, it's. It, I don't think it was supposed to be hard hitting journalism, but uh, you know, the reasons for the Washington Post not printing his identity, I thought, were pretty thin. It's. I mean, yeah. you know, he's a he's a media personality. He's not like. Uh, it was his performance identity. Yeah, he's not a he's not a guy. Uh, he's not a spy or something like that. Anyway, uh, and then I don't know if you want to talk about. Then uh, a reporter for Deadspin, mm-hmm. uh, who actually has a long-term uh, history of actually, I think, uh, reporting on Barstool, mm-hmm. wrote a piece about it mm-hmm. and and printed his identity, which was already out there. Right. It wasn't a secret. I mean, it hadn't been printed maybe in a major news article, but you could find it pretty easily. Right. Yeah, he claimed he had been doxxed by this reporter. Her name is uh, Laura Wagner. And who, incidentally, she had been an intern at one time for NPR. And uh, doxing to me is revealing your home address, your phone number, your email address, whatever, yeah. like super personal information that you don't necessarily want out there. So um, she published his name on Deadspin and uh, and also kind of took the post to task for, for keeping him anonymous and... Uh, so, yeah, so now the, the controversy there is this guy did not want to be outed um, and and that he's been doxxed and that, you know, I don't know, does he think his life is ruined? I don't know. It's it's still early days here. But, but it makes me wonder, like, how – if you're putting stuff out there, how much can you curate your own image and be in control of your own image now, whether your personality like this guy or mm-hmm. your athletes like – 
like uh, the Canadian ice dancers or Sammy Sosa? How much of that narrative do you get to control? If you rely so much on your fans to buy your tickets to your sporting events, to click on your website or whatever, um, it's inviting people in. And that's the thing with social media, right? It was different when it was just a newspaper or a TV show. Now it's social media where people are, are often interacting with their fans. And any interaction, a like on a comment or a like on an Instagram post to some fans means that they have a piece of you now. And so I'm just uh, so again, there's this is controversial because it's it's still evolving, right? Like we don't know how how this is going to end up for this guy or for Sammy Sosa or for anybody, any athlete um, who uh, if they state an opinion on Twitter, that can just start an incredible like, you know, beep storm of activity that can be really devastating to somebody's personal life, I think. But I don't know. I think it's interesting. And I think, you know, one of the things that, you know, it's not the dirty secret, but one of the things about sports, especially if you follow a particular team, is that you're not just in it for the actual games. I mean, one of the things I like about following the Cubs is you get to know the players, you read the articles, you know how they interact. For example, uh, Wilson Contreras is kind of a hothead, uh, but he just plays the game emotionally. And, you know, you see that play out over the season and how his teammates react to that and how Joe Madden has this whole thing. That, that's just the Cubs. I mean, you could do that for anything. One of the things that I know, uh, one of the reasons people would say, oh, for example, college basketball, one of the reasons I'm really into recruiting is it's fun to get to know these guys and see who comes and goes and get to know the players before they come. And so when they get there, then you sort of know their background, where they came from. I mean, really... Sports is about stories, right? You know, whether it's the story of overcoming these obstacles to win the championship or blah, blah, blah. So you get invested, obviously, in the players uh, and and their sports lives. The question is, how much do you get to know behind the scenes? Uh, how much should you know behind the scenes? Uh, this this is interesting because um, you, 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 say, you say about Twitter and stuff like that. Uh, Trevor Bauer, who I've talked about on the show before because he really gets out there on Twitter and he's kind of a weird guy. Mm-hmm. Last night, he was he was pitching for the Indians against the Cubs, and in the dirt uh, on the mound, he carved with his foot BD-911, which uh, in conspiracy theory terms is Bush did 9-11. Oh, God. Whoa. Yeah. And Whoa, wait, yeah, are you gonna send me a link to that? Because yeah. that's that's fascinating. And, and he claims after the game that that's like it's clear you can see it says BD 911, and he claims after the game that it wasn't that. But having already established that he's this conspiracy nut on Twitter, see, you know, it's pretty hard to deny that what the heck is going on. So I'm saying, like, if you if you're out there engaged right. in certain things and you've established an identity. When you do something like that, people are going to know. You're not going like, to get the benefit. If it was of the just doubt. some random thing, people would be like, "I don't know what that means." Well, but. and that okay, and that also brings to me the question because I was about, before you told this story, and I'm really glad you did. Before you told this story, I was going to be like, "Well, for the athletes, is it about stories or is it about the game? Like, are they in it to play the game, to to score the runs, the touchdowns, to get the wins?" But like what? But what I'm hearing here from stories like this, and just really, I mean, and that was a rhetorical question, right. okay? Right. I, but I think what we see is that players also 
it's not just about storytelling. They want to be the story. And so they they want people to see things behind the scenes. But they want it's like any famous person. They want people to see what they want them to see. But with the Internet, people are a lot more able to not just find things that that they may not want you to see. They're also really good at misinterpreting what you do want them to see. Oh, sure. Right. But I mean, and but that but that thing on the mound, that's the exact same kind of thing. You know, he's doing that for whatever reason. Who knows what that is? So, yes, I, I agree. Like when, when you are starting to engage that way, you're inviting that kind of participation that you may not want to engage with. Yeah, I think. But I'm not a famous person, so not yet. Not yet. <laughs> it's guess. never too late, I guess. <laughs> my uh, my quick take on that would be Eric, chill out. You're 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 not a you're not a spy. You're not a CIA guy yeah. or anything. So yeah. you being outed that would, is is not that big. A interesting. Deal. It is interesting, and I don't think any of us have ever listened to the podcast. But his podcast, what is it called? Pardon my take or whatever. Yeah. With yeah. Big Cat, who mm-hmm. actually has a real name that everyone knows, is apparently the most popular sports podcast in the world and continues to be. So hey, I'll have to check it out sometime and see what all the hubbub is about. Yeah. All right. All right, Lisa, thanks. Sure. Thank you, guys. And let's wrap things up with our status updates. Who wants to go first? I'll go first uh, just because this happened uh, yesterday and I saw on NPR Sports that uh, Brandy Chastain, uh, <laughs> American superstar in soccer, yes. uh, sort of maybe oh, yeah. famous for, um, you know, like when we won the World Cup final in uh, the late 90s and she took off her shirt and celebrated. And that. it's this very iconic image. Actually, yeah. I really love it because it just like she is the picture Pure of joy. fitness and yeah. strength yeah. and joy. Yeah, just yeah. like that part of sports that... It's a great story, but it's also like achievement mm-hmm. and and um, and and power. Uh, anyway, so she um, was going to receive a plaque and be inducted into the Bay Area uh, Sports Hall of Fame in San Francisco, and they they unveil this plaque, you know, and it looks literally nothing like her. No, it looks. I can't even. I don't even. I'm not even sure. It looks like a person, you know, and and we had we saw something similar, I think, with a statue of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah, correct. Where that looked nothing like him. It's some. Did they get the same person to do this? I don't know. The it eyes was, look kind of the same. Some, some of the comparisons I saw, I can't remember if I saw this on awful announcing or where I saw this, but somebody posted like an article with like some takes on Twitter of like who that thing actually looked like. Some of the examples were Jimmy Carter, Gary Busey, I think was mentioned. (laughs) People that that plaque looked more like than than Brandy Chastain because you're right. There's no resemblance whatsoever. There there is a like a a video um, still of her like thumbs up, stand next to it, and she looks... Like, yeah, I'm cool with it, except you see the little frown between her eyebrows. Like, what on earth? And they actually, in this article that we'll post a link to on NPR, they they actually refer to the Ronaldo statue. Yeah. Um, and just maybe it's something about bronze, like uh, yeah, soccer think, players. You can't just—it's really difficult to— the, There are some, like, Hall of Fame plaques, render. and I remember this from when I visited Cooperstown, and this has been going on 20 years ago now. But some of the plaques are like, okay, well, I guess it's that guy, but you—, you yeah, I think there is something about bronze that makes it a little more difficult to really capture what a person looks like, but this one is horribly bad. It really, yeah, Jimmy Carter, Biff, uh, Biff Tannen, Biff Tannen. <laughs> uh, 
let's see, uh, NFL coach Rex Ryan, yeah. Eleanor Roosevelt. I mean, <laughs> I, thought, I, I saw, I thought like Nick Nolte or something. I thought, man, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, yeah. It just it it's that it's that middle part. It makes it look like she. I don't. I don't know. Yeah, she's supposed to be. I think, weird. wearing it in a ponytail, and, yeah, but you but can't but see the back of the hair. It, it, yeah, the whole thing is just no really more. Weird. No more bronze likenesses I've, of people. Well, I, I, someone was just like, "We have three D printing technology, right?" Yeah. Well, but then we're getting rid of an entire art form. So, but maybe for you know these kind of things, there's a, a there's a place idea. for like statues, and then there's a place for like, well, it'd be nice if it actually looked like the person. Mm-hmm. Oh, it would be man. nice. So hopefully, th- th- I did hear they're going to try again. Okay, and, that's good. Uh, that's what they did with uh, with Ronaldo. Name? Yeah. Okay. And it was the same. They gave the yes. guy a second chance, <laughs> <laughs> and he did a little better. All right. Very good. Uh, John Steinbach. Well, that what was going to be mine. Oh, I'm sorry. No, it's it's good. Uh, I'm just noticing now that, okay, so we had the royal wedding this yes. weekend, mm-hmm. and of all the people there, I, I think the Beck, Beckham was there, maybe? It seemed like he might Yeah, I think uh, he was, was. He there. was totally there, and, like, some guy was like, why would you let this guy come to your wedding? He's, he's totally bringing it, because, of course, he looked very handsome. Yeah. But Serena was there. Yes. Uh, she won beer pong. Team. That's what I was. I heard that they played beer pong. Yeah. I ha- I haven't followed the after she, uh, party. So she, yeah, she famously like for the evening wear portion, she had a nice dress, but she was wearing like tennis shoes underneath, which was cool. Uh, but that's a long way of coming around to the. Apparently, they, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal about Roger Federer, and they asked him who the greatest of all time was, and he said Serena, which I thought was was good. Yeah, that's all I got. Yeah. <laughs> Go, that's Roger. Good. Ooh. But it's always good to talk about Serena and royal weddings and stuff like that. Um, mine is for all the panicky Cub fans out there that, you know, they're they're panicked that the Cubs are in fourth place. You know, they're only like two or three games out of first, so whatever. But um, Chris Bryant was asked before uh, last night's game, before Tuesday night's game, about that, whether whether he hears concerns about the team from fans. And, and I'll just quote you his answer because I, I think – you know, all things considered, I think it's pretty good. Uh, honestly, I just hear it through you guys. I don't pay much attention to it. I don't read any of the comments, the newspaper, any of that. But when you guys ask the questions, I'm starting to get a little sense that our fans aren't as happy as they would like to be. I guess it's understandable. I feel like we're underperforming a little bit. We're pretty average right now, but we're still six games, now five games after last night, over 500 and in a pretty good spot. We kind of look at our track record here, three consecutive NLCS appearances. It's true that gets old and maybe it can be seen as an excuse, but when I, th- I think when you look at the talent in here and what we can do, it would be kind of foolish to doubt us. Wow. That's interesting in the talking about what we were talking about earlier where, you know, the interaction. I know Chris Bryant has social media but it's clearly uh it's mostly somebody for him yeah right right so so it's interesting some of the players i think that's one thing we wouldn't you know you kind of hinted at but uh i imagine if your player interacts a lot on twitter you must always feel like your team sucks and you suck and yeah i think i think some of the athletes from what i have because i i try to follow it like in Mm -hmm. different sports too some of them are really active i think the vast majority of them will step in occasionally and like start answering questions they'll be like hey i'm here for a few minutes like Mm -hmm. i'll start answering questions and then immediately it goes from zero to 60 with the like weirdness and intrusiveness of some of the questions and so then that scares them off but i'm not sure i believe it when uh, people say that they don't read the comments or they'd stay out of the loop. I think that's really hard to do. Um, 
maybe I just kind of live in a world in the media world where we're constantly connected to social media because we're trying to follow the news cycle and, and whatever. But I just, I feel like, um, and maybe in sports, they just don't have the time. Maybe that other famous people Yeah, especially have. baseball, 162 days a year, you're always traveling. Yeah, they're always on their phones. Like, That's what are they true. doing? What that, are they doing? Yeah. Well, Chris Bryant just seems like kind of the boring kind of guy who probably doesn't. You know, he's he's crafted an image and... I'm sure there are a lot of players who say, I don't, I don't read the comments, and they do. Oh. With his, in his case, I think it's probably true just because he probably, you know, goes home and eats ice cream and watches Netflix or something. Yeah. I, T- that, takes that's a nap. I see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so. maybe maybe we can get him on the show and ask him. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, I'll, I'll get so right on So what do you do that. in your downtime if you're not looking at your phone? I'll, uh, I'll get right on that. Yeah. But uh, I think that's going to wrap things up here for, for this episode. For this the season. summer. Of the Bandwagon Podcast. Here we are. And uh, thanks, everyone, for your faithful listening for another season. Was this our fourth season? It depends on how you do. Third season. It's our third Third, third season. season. Yeah. I have credits, even though Roger's not here. I actually did oh, credits. Hey, like, all right. So I'll go back to my old job of reading those if you guys want me to. <laughs> Absolutely. So, um, okay. So thank you so much for joining us here on the bandwagon. It's a fun place, isn't it? Wouldn't you agree? Mm-hmm. We kind of have a hole here. I'm pointing to Roger's chair. He's not here. Uh, this episode was produced by Brian Moline, Lisa Braltz, and John Steinbacher. We'd like to thank our special, special guest, Emily Jensen, and we wish the Reno Aces the best of luck. Am I right? Yes. Uh, additional thanks go to Scott Cameron, Jim Kelly, Mike Bullman, and our friends Automatic Empire. They wrote and performed the theme uh, song and other music that you heard within. Find us on the web at will.illinois.edu slash bandwagon. We'll link to almost everything we've discussed on this podcast. If you subscribe to us, uh, then you get every episode just like delivered to your phone. Super easy. You can do that in iTunes. You can do that in Stitcher. You can also hear us in NPR One. You can follow us on Twitter at Bandwagon Podcast. Just remove all the vowels, and that is our handle. Uh, you can get our tweets there. We like questions. We like links, recommendations. So let us know if you see something funny or cool or weird. And we'll take it. Uh, as Brian mentioned, we're taking a summer breather. But we will still be around on social media, and these episodes are always available for you to listen to online at any time. Back to school time will equal back to bandwagon time, okay? So until then, thanks for playing. Thanks for playing.